Former U.S. National Rugby Team Captain. Team Captain. Head Coach and General Manager. General Manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now. Now. Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining Full Contact CEO today. I am your host, Alex Magleby. I'm also co-founder and CEO of the high-flying, free-spirited New England Free Jacks, as well as CEO of Heritage Sports Ventures. My guest today hails all the way from Limerick, Ireland. He's an Olympian and former Ireland 7 star. He is winner of Love Island, the ever-popular reality show across the pond. You'll now catch him as a co-host of the House Rugby URC, as well as all over YouTube with his own very awesome vlog or on the World Rugby channel where he does some very cool stuff. Welcome to Full Contact CEO, Mr. Greg O'Shea. Thanks very much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. You've had some cool names on this podcast, so I'm really, really honored. It's awesome. It's fantastic and, and super excited to, to dig into things. We're going to start with a warm-up just to get going. I'm going to say a word, and you just say the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> it's going to be anything. Munster. Rugby. Shannon RFC. Uh, titles. Hong Kong. Sevens. I've got a text. Love Island. The Cadillac. Oh, my God. Hard. <laughs> the future. 5G. What? No, no, no. It works. <laughs> just measure 5G times 2, 10, 11. I mean, what is it? I don't even know. <laughs> the, the Cadillac comes from David Berry, a mutual friend of ours. David, you know, is one of the co-owners of the free. Oh, yeah, it's Cadillac. He, he, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you're so smooth. You're so smooth yeah. as a player. You yeah. look so good. The Cadillac. So, yeah, David Barry is a is an absolute gen to see a superman of a yeah. fella. He, uh, so he owns the Jesters, and I played for them for a couple of times. So they're affiliated with Ireland Sevens. Had a great trip with him in Copenhagen and Denver, and uh, yeah, really good guy. That's awesome. Very good. So you grew up. You grew up in Limerick. Then that was mm. born and raised. Born and raised in Limerick, Ireland. A lot of people wouldn't know where Limerick is. It's in the south of Ireland, and most people know the name Limerick from the poems. It's a format of a poem. I actually don't know if that is even anything linked with Limerick. Um, but I probably should know that, but I grew up there for about 20 years and then I moved to Dublin where I'm kind of based for 50% of my time now, but yeah, I, I learned all my grassroots rugby there, played with Shannon RC, who have the most, uh, Irish titles in history, even though they're not doing too good now and uh, <laughs> played for Munster for four years, um, in their academy system and then moved over to the seventh team where I ended up going to Olympics. So it's been a. A mad couple of years at 26. Oh, and I won Love Island in the middle of all that as well. Yeah, <laughs> just no big deal. No big deal. So why why Shannon versus like Gary Owen or somebody else? That just locally, that's was your club? Yeah, so I don't know if um, the kind of grassroots rugby in the States is the same, but once your father or uncles or cousins are like aligned to a club, you're playing for them. There's no real other option. Yeah. So my grandfather... All the way down, my father went up because everyone played for Shannon and are incredibly passionate about it. Like my mother even did the tuck shop there, like sold chocolate bars and, and bottles really? of coke. Oh, that's good. So yeah, yeah, it was, ne it was like a foregone conclusion. I was always going to play for Shannon and I, and I might go back after a couple of years of retirement just to help out again. But at the moment, I'm enjoying retirement. My, my experiences in Limerick is you play a game, it's a club game, and then it's pretty wild nights out. You know, <laughs> it's, not, it's not the safest place late at night, is it? Have you been to Limerick? 
Yes, yes. I played the, you know, we played in university. I went over with Dartmouth. We played Gary Owen a couple times, actually, and made that trip. And it was awesome. People are so friendly and welcoming, but late yeah. at night, it gets people get pretty wild. Limerick is a bit nuts. Yeah, we unfortunately have the kind of nickname of Stab City because a yeah. lot of people used to get stabbed back in the day. But it's not an issue anymore. It's much more um, cleaned up and there's not as much trouble anymore. And we're even like, we're European city of the the year, I think in 2020 and stuff like that. So um, I could have that year wrong, but we're, we're getting places now and Limerick is, is my heart and soul. I, I love it so much. Did I read that you were also in athletics? You sprinted? I sprinted. I did, man. So I, my first Olympic was experience was I sprinted for Ireland in the Youth Olympics in 2011 in the 100 meters. And I uh, ran 10.87, I think I did. I was 16 years old. So that was amazing. Yeah. 7.11 at 16. That's awesome. Yeah. I just, I was a fast kid, man. And my father sprinted for Ireland. My mother sprinted for Ireland. So it was kind of in the genes. And I only did athletics in the summer when the rugby season finished. So I kind of jumped in. And uh, that was probably an issue in that I never really had the endurance towards the latter end of the race. So I'd get to like 80 meters and I'd just die out um, because loads of people get the meters in their yeah. legs for Christmas. So I kind of jumped in and I just happened to be just fast enough to kind of make it. And I ended up running a good time. And then after that, I kind of realized that if I'm not running close to sub 10 seconds or like near the 10 second mark, I'm not going to make it in athletics because you have high school students in the stage from like yeah. 10 two. But at yeah. 16, I'm running 10-8, which is great in Europe, but it's probably not going to be a career option. So Munster Rugby came in then and were interested in me as a player. So I decided rugby's my first love. I'm going to pursue that. And it worked out well, thank God. Did you ever like give Carlin Isles? Like, like Carlin, let's do this. I, I got you. <laughs> not at all. See, that, that's what funny story is. Because I said there, I was kind of the fast guy growing up. So always you'd be like, give the ball to Greg and you do the young thing where you run out to the touchline and then run down and you score. And I was on the wing. Great. Perfect. Then I had a big accident where I lacerated my Achilles tendon off a bicycle when I was in Montauk, New York, actually. Which was really? Like, yeah. We do it a summer. Like, is that the summer? The old, I used to play out there, you know, I played for New York Athletic Club and you'd head out there for the summer. There'd be a seventh tournament. And you had another great night out. Yeah. Like, a lot of people from Ireland there for the summer. Yeah, so the thing called J1, where you, where I yeah, got J1 fun. visa, yeah, yeah, go over there and just kind of uh, annoy Americans for the summer. <laughs> so good. Yeah, so I went, I actually wasn't doing a J1. I visited my girlfriend at the time who was on her J1, and I went yeah. over. I got a bicycle uh, that was like fifty quid out the side of a secondhand bike store. Like it was really rusty old thing. I was cycling down the road, and the chain fell off it. I proceeded to fall off the bike as well. And I tried to keep myself on by kicking myself back onto the bike. And I kicked my Achilles off the cog of the bike, which is the um, sort of sharp disc on the bike. Yeah. Like just lacerated my Achilles. It's like, like cut it to, like cut it with a knife. Like it's just gone completely. Just, um, and without, what I didn't realize is that without your Achilles tendon, your foot, your leg just doesn't work. It's literally flopped like that. And I went to stand on my leg and fell over. And I was, I was like, Oh no, this is a problem. This is not okay. Cause I was trying to be a professional rugby player at the time. Yeah. It was an awkward phone call to make home to the physios in Munster that I was like looking after wrecking my leg. And I got a taxi to the closest hospital, which uh, was about an hour away. And I went in and there was a big, big time surgeon there. I can't think of his name now. And he just came out and goes straight away. Yeah. You, uh, you're after lacerating your Achilles tendon. You need to get it prepared as soon as possible if you want to play rugby again. And it's going to cost you 50 grand because for some reason in America, 
yeah. your healthcare healthcare system. It's normally yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Did you get it there? Did you go? No, no, no. I'm gonna go back to. So Munster flew me home the next day, and they got the surgery done here in Ireland by a great surgeon called Johnny McKenna, who basically was like, "Look, you're after destroying your leg, and you're probably not gonna get back to where you were." Um, it's just the nature of it, man. It's just unfortunate that's happened to you. So went back into Munster. They rehabbed me back and I never really got to the speed I was before, unfortunately. But I got back playing, which was just a bonus for me. So unfortunately, then I wasn't the athlete that Munster had signed. They, uh, I saw out my contract with them. The sevens team picked me up and I went from being thinking I was a fast guy to being so humbled when I came pe across people like Jordan Conroy and competing as people like Carlin Isles, where... I thought I was fast. These guys are honestly some of the fastest people I've ever seen yeah. in my life. And I well, track all over the world. And these guys are just piss quick. Like, so yeah, like top hundred in the world. Yeah. I got nicely humbled and I moved swiftly into playing out half and I played a more playmaker role. So that's where um, David Barry gets the Cadillac stuff about. So, uh, so yeah. it's funny. We beat Ireland sevens in the 2005 sevens world cup in hong kong and i came home and i was like yeah we beat ireland the people who knew rugby were like ireland doesn't care about sevens buddy what to your guys's credit the last few years you guys have been awesome yeah would you say that was in dubai in 2005? that was um 2005 world cup was hong kong that was hong, hong kong. kong yeah yeah i think there was some good irish players in that though that can like... i mean yeah it's just but it was a team thrown together like on a tuesday to play on a friday right it was back yeah. in the day like the circuit was only five years old some countries were really like um home nations were really getting into it you know wales had a good program at the time we're really using it kind of like the kiwis were english somewhat as well but Ireland's like, no, no, we're going to go start winning, um, you know, triple crowns and things like that in, in, in the Six Nations. Yeah, exactly. So they kind of got thrown up, thrown together and uh, went over there. And there wasn't then another sevens program made until about five years ago. And the, the issue with the sevens program is that you have to qualify each season through the next league. So we started off in European Division D or something crazy like that, playing out in Bosnia, Herzegovina against Cyprus and Israel, like great countries, but wouldn't be known for their rugby. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> and that's in the summer, right? That's like a summer series. It's a summer series because you're yeah. uh, seven series, yeah. And we made our way through. Like lads, we're winning games like eighty nil, ninety nil, and sevens games, which is great. But it's just we're more developed rugby players in Ireland than these guys, and we yeah. made our, the whole way through and got to Hong Kong the first year. I think it was twenty. 18 i unfortunately wasn't on the team neither was jordan conroy and the the boys lost that year we came back the next year we had a bit more development and we won it got onto the world series and it's been amazing ever since so yeah it's been a crazy story for the Ireland seven team they're great it came on the series and it's like you were always there it's like you were competitive immediately when you got to the series it wasn't you see sometimes in that relegation people go back up and down up and down but you guys got, arrived and you, you you played your way. Speaking of Hong Kong, by the way, don't you have a family from Hong Kong or something? Did I did I hear I that? Do. My grandfather's from Hong Kong. Yeah, he moved over to Limerick in the ninth in nineteen sixty four, I think, or nineteen sixty two. And you're gonna think I'm lying, but he opened up the first Chinese restaurant in Limerick. That's and, awesome. Yeah, married my grandmother, who was an Irish woman, and had had my mother and and uncles and aunts, and that's where I came along the line. So it was my first time in Hong Kong in twenty nineteen. And uh, yeah, it was mad to see the place. An incredible culture. It's an awesome city, yeah. 
Yeah, incredible tournament. Like so, that's the beauty of Sevens Man. You get to travel all over the world, just playing these amazing locations, and everyone's loving it because it's a bit of a piss up. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, it's just Crown, yeah, it's yeah, it's absurd. Yeah, so it's but great. It, crack. Um, so I definitely missed that side of it, but uh, I kind of got what I wanted to out of the sport. I I got to the Olympics, which is the pinnacle of sport. So I can really look back on that period of my life really fondly, and the years of the decade and every day getting up and just training and training and never being paid a lot like the biggest contract I ever had was 18 grand which is still below minimum wage so I started off on three grand so it was really like grinding it out but I think being on such little money and working so hard really bonded us as a team because we yeah. had it on our shoulder we were bitter we were coming up coming up against guys that were getting paid proper money and we just developed our skills and bonded together as a team and we got to the top of sports so we're just really really proud and the country were, were really proud of us, thank God. Yeah, it's really awesome. And just how quickly you guys grew into that role, which is fantastic. So wait, going back to your grandfather, why did he choose Limerick? Um, that's a good question, man. I actually don't know why he choose, chose Limerick. It's just, I suppose it's a developing country back then. It's in Europe. It's, it's westernized. Um, I never really know why he picked Limerick. But he liked immigration because, you know, Shannon Airport was built after, what, World War II or whenever it was, it was or during that basic era because that's as far as planes could go before they had to refuel. So yeah. Shannon became a stop off between, you know, East Coast U.S. and London. But then, obviously, the, the engines and the, the jets came at, into being and they could go all the way to London. So Shannon Airport had to figure out what it was going to do, right? And it then became the first duty-free airport in the world where you could buy liquor and everything else and not pay taxes on it. And you had a lot of people coming there to kind of learn what that looked like from all over the world. And Hong Kong became a economic free zone, much in the same way that then Shannon did for industry. Shannon, then the next step to become relevant as an airport uh, was creating an industrial free zone where you could fly parts in, assemble them and then fly them out. Okay. And it wasn't getting taxed. So it became this interesting phenomenon where all these multinational companies would come and they would have offices and, and warehouses there and manufacturing. A very interesting story. But anyway, the, the Hong Kong then became a similar, somewhat similar economic zone in some ways. So I wonder if there was a connection there. But anyway, Maybe that was, that was it. That would, that would make sense why he stopped off in Limerick and just never left. Like it's yeah. so lovely. Olympics, favorite part of the Olympics. Favorite part of the Olympics. Oh man, that's such a, uh, big question. Um, I'm going to say, just popped in my head straight away, it was being there with my best friends. So it, the thing with the Olympics, it's so many different sports and the individual sports, like your track and fields, your swimming, all tennis, everything like that. But we went for rugby, which is a team sport. And I thought you were going to say, when, I thought you were going to say my best friends from Love Island. Rome's <laughs> <laughs> one. So the boys back here, yeah, in Ireland. I mean, it's just because we trained so hard and no one knows how much work we put in. And just to get there and to achieve it, and be there with my with my mates, and just relish it all, and it's the top of sport. I think that was the most proud moment I had. Like behind me here on the wall is the jersey with all the lads' names on it, and stuff. that's awesome. Um, I wake up every morning and I just look at it and just go, "What we achieved is just amazing." The team, and I just hope the program keeps continuing on and goes to the next Olympics in Paris, and then. The women are even doing so well now as well. So it's awesome. really cool. Yeah. Did you really have to sleep on a box? bed a cardboard box bed yes man. the the beds in the olympic village were made of cardboard like it and there was two reasons for that we were told the first one was to discourage any sexual activity <laughs> which i saw first really? 
Uh, people got around that and still tried their best. But, uh, <laughs> the, the second one was for recycling. So uh, you can take from that what you want. The beds were definitely made of cardboard and they were still really comfortable. I really? Agree. It's that's innovation design. That's amazing. Do yeah. you um do you ever think before you retired and what do you think of the MLR? Was that a something? I know some of your buddies and um, Harry obviously played in um, played for LA, uh, one of your teammates for with Ireland. Did you yeah. ever think about that as a as a move or what's your overall take? You know what, man? I have thought about it recently in the last couple of months. I was like, geez, I wouldn't mind playing in the MLR if there was any like. People, uh, any teams looking for Irish guys, kind of fast distributor guys, I would have to think about it because it's a life experience. And I talked to Harry McNulty, who's been over with LA. He loved it. Uh, his brother Sean's a really good mate of mine. Yeah. He for LA as well. Loved it. People like Will Leonard, or, or, I think it's with your team. Yeah. No, uh, it, was, um, yeah, it was in New York. Yeah. He was a good mate of mine that I yeah. grew up with. So people have really enjoyed themselves over there. So if a team came knocking, I wouldn't say no. But at the moment, I'm just kind of. Uh, taking life as it comes and taking opportunities and I'm I'm kind of in the more prese- uh, presenting media side of rugby yeah. now so I've been doing the Six Nations for the BBC and I'm presenting House of Rugby here in Ireland and I've done some work with World Rugby so on YouTube I don't know if you've seen it we're, do- we're trying to find rugby's toughest fitness sessions yes I saw your hot yoga one with the beasts we're amazing Sendai Madureira yeah getting that big man to move is, is something else oh my god he's larger than life in, in two ways um, or the other, what I did was Navy SEALs test and that one honestly nearly killed Did you go to Coronado or did you go to North Carolina? Where did you, did you do that in the States or did you do that? Oh, so we just copied the test and we did it in the UK. We did it in London, um, which people don't know. The Navy SEALs test is the test you obviously have to pass to get into the training program for the Navy SEALs. So it is a 1.5 mile run in under 10 minutes and 30 seconds. And then you go into a a half a mile swim in under 12 minutes. And then you do uh, two minutes of push-ups, as many as you can do, two minutes of sit-ups, as many as you can do, and then as many pull-ups as you can do uh, without dropping off the bar. So it's just all out maximal, maximal effort. And I passed them all, but the swim nearly killed me, man, honestly. Are you, were you a swimmer at all growing up? No, no I, did, I never competed. I'm able to yeah. swim for like, it's just a completely different stimulus. I don't know. These Navy SEAL guys are just different grade. Completely. I am, after I retired from playing, it was after, actually after the 2005 Sevens World Cup. So I was done with 15s, done with Sevens, done with rugby at that level. I just done with all playing rugby. And I was like, oh, I'll do triathlons. You know, like a lot of athletes are like, oh, I'll do that. You know, keep myself competitive. And I did a sprint triathlon. So not too far, you know, it's like a 20 mile bike. Um, you start off with a swim. It's like a half mile swim, maybe even less. And you know, by like a minute in, I'm doing the the, the back. <laughs> and I take a water skier. <laughs> Just no chance. And then I think it, it ends with a 5K, and you're fine with Sevens Fitness. You're fine with that. But yeah, the 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 swimming was awful. Oh my god, train for it? Not really. I was like, oh no, I'm fit. You know, I can do this. I'm totally fit. I got it. And of course, I almost drowned. Yeah, um, I'm finding that <laughs> difficulty at the moment where. So obviously for the last 10 years, I had the rugby training focus of like all the World Series, World Cup, Olympics, which kept me focused. But now I don't have a focus. So I'm after picking up uh, two charity events this year. So next month I'm cycling the length of Ireland, which I've never cycled before. Obviously I know how to cycle, but never like distance cycle. So that's yeah. manners on me very quick. And then in October, I'm going to run the London Marathon as well. So what? Mm. that's awesome. 
Yeah. So I just think, I just want focus. I mean, I think it comes from just being a professional athlete for so long. You probably felt it as well that you need something to work towards or you just won't do anything. Do you know on the, the cycling, how far do you have to go each day? So it's 600 kilometers over four days. So um, what's that, like 150 kilometers a day? Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be, um, that's like 90 be miles. That's more than 90 miles a day. Yeah. Is that right? It's big. Something like that. Yeah. So it's going to be tough. I'm doing it with my best mate in aid of November. So we're raising funds for November and going to be a lot of fun, a big challenge though. And I, I haven't really got stuck into training yet. So I'm going to have to do that pretty soon because it's on in three weeks. Okay. And wow. That's amazing. And when is London? London's next October. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't done any long. The furthest I've ran is 10K and that's on a rugby pitch over like 80 minutes. So I don't, I don't know how that's going to go as well, but the fact I'm doing the London uh, marathon for Alzheimer's, yeah. my, my grandmother suffered from Alzheimer's and she unfortunately passed away um, quite dramatically from it. Uh, I kind of would have the motivation, the mental motivation to keep going. So I think, I think that one will be, um, it'll be obviously very physical, but it will be uh, nicely uh, mentally motivated as well. It's really cool. I mean, also like your social and what you're doing and you're very supportive of a lot of causes. If people want to help support that, the, the ride, how, how do they do that? Yeah, so I'll put it all up on my Instagram account uh, next month. So my Instagram is just Greg O'Shea, just my name. And uh, I'll put up swipe up links. And if you want to support, then click the link and you can do donate whatever you want. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Tell me about how did you get on to Love Island? How did that come to be? <laughs> you looking to get on, you are? Yeah, it's like, look at me. Like, I'm perfect for it. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, the luscious, you have the long, luscious locks of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Love Island, man, is... There's three ways you can get on it. So the first way um, is they, you can apply. So you just fill out the form online, you send it in. But I think hundreds of thousands of people do that. So the chances of getting in are very slim, but it's happened. Uh, the second way is, say, if you're walking around London or Edinburgh or Dublin and uh, a rep spots you, kind of like they'd spot models, you know what I mean? They kind of go up to you, like, will you do the interviews for Love Island? That's the second way. And the third way, which how I got on it, is they contact you via social media. So they come across your account and they DM you and they ask you, do you want to do the interviews? So that's what happened to me. And I don't know how they found my account because I only had like a thousand followers at the time, wasn't active. I hadn't posted in months, but they found me and messaged me. And initially I actually thought it was the lads messing because yeah. we all watch it and it's kind of a rugby prank you're playing each other anyway. Uh, but the issue was the, the account was verified. So it had a blue tick. So I was like, has to be real like John it's, it's a fair yeah. so I replied back and they were like yeah we have this TV show coming up this summer we'd like to interview for it would you like to take a call took the call in between training sessions so I remember we're, we're training at Lansdowne Road here in Dublin and we're on the pitch and we're going from pitch to gym my phone started ringing and I was like oh what's this English number so I kind of walked away from the lads took the call and the, the interview went really well over the call they flew me over to London then uh, three or four times over the next few weeks and uh, never at any stage did I think I'd actually get onto the show. I just thought this would be a funny story to tell the lads that I interviewed yeah. for Ireland. I got all the way through the rounds and uh, they flew me over to London. And I met the producers and they were like, congratulations, we'd like you to give you day one uh, of the Love Island, which is really big. Like to get day one, you're basically like going to be really big. Because you know? your people are there from the start and you have yeah. two months if you stay in the show. And I was like, look, guys, I'm sorry, but I can't do it. I have rugby commitments. I'm trying to go to the Olympics. Thanks, but no thanks. And they were so shocked. I'd say I'm the first person ever to like reject taking Love them. Island. 
Okay, why? It's because like it's just, you know what I mean? The opportunities that come from it. Obviously, people say they go in for love, which has happened, but the opportunities that come from it as well are huge. So the fact that I said no to go back to a job that was paying me below minimum wage just sounded crazy. Like, yeah. So, but I think it had been my lifelong dream to go to the Olympics, to play rugby, to be a professional rugby player. And I wasn't going to let a reality TV show get in the way of that. So I shook their hand and said, thanks very much. And I walked away and I came back home to Ireland and started training with the lads again. And just, and they were all like fuming. They were like, why didn't you go in this year? And I was like, lads, you know the bigger picture here. We're trying to get the Olympics. And they all understood. And they kind of, I, I think they all respected me for that decision for sticking around. And I watched the show like everyone else for the first six weeks. The show was on for eight. I watched it for the first, for first six. And I remember we had an Olympic qualifying tournament in Toulouse. And just before we were flying out to Toulouse, we were flying out on a Tuesday morning. I got a call on a Monday evening. And uh, it was an English number again. I was like, oh, yeah, hello, who's this? And it was Love Island producers again. They were like, look, great, we, we need you to go into the show. How can we make this work? And I said, look, I'm flying to Toulouse tomorrow to play in the Olympic qualifier. And you told me the deadline to go into the show is the 12th of July. It's now the 15th of July. And uh, they were like, look, we'll make it work. How can we make this work? I said, I'm finished on Sunday evening. You can fly me from Toulouse if you want. <laughs> and that, like, this wasn't me being rude. It was just me yeah. like, not trying to. I have other commitments. Yeah, not, not trying to mess up my commitment. So. I remember we lost to France in the semi-final and uh, England went on to beat France and England qualified GB for the Olympics then, which, had, yeah. which put us into the Olympic repressage a year later, which is kind of besides the point. Anyway, I finished on a Sunday and um, I had a flight to Mallorca Sunday evening. So I had to like lie to the lads to get away from them to try and get to the, get to the airport without them knowing I was going on the show. Because you signed a contract and NDA. So I, it's really bad as well. I basically told my, my teammates that my grandmother died, right? So, oh man, really. really oh, oh. What happened then, my grandmother actually did die when I was in Love Island. And that was just, oh, another kettle of fish. Like, so, like old people die, but it was just really yes. Timing is awful. Yeah. Yeah, timing was awful. And uh, so I got on the plane, flew over to Love Island. And what the lads didn't figure out was, my parents were at the Olympic qualifier in Toulouse as well. And they stayed and went on the pitch with the team, the other parents. <laughs> so like, how did the lads didn't work out that there was something going on? I just don't get it. And because uh, <laughs> it was my mother's mother as well. And my mom was yeah. the team. But anyway, I flew it, flew over Sunday evening, went into the villa Monday morning and ended up winning it two weeks later. And it was just the maddest whirlwind. And it's just been a crazy, crazy life since then. What but were your the tactics going into it to like, be like, I'm okay, I'm here now. Now I gotta, I'm going to focus on this. Yeah. The strategy you had to use to win it. I actually didn't, man. I genuinely, I didn't have a strategy to win it. Cause I was like, this is going to be so funny. I'm going to win for a couple of days. The lads are going to watch. It's going to be really fun. I'll get kicked out and I'll come home and I'll just have a really good story. Is it live? Like, is it not live live, but is it, like how quickly does that production then go so people can see it? It's a day behind. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's kind of like yeah. months behind like some of the reality shows in the US. No, it's, it's no. a day behind. Even so much so that I found out from the producers and the editors that while you're watching the start of a Love Island show, they can still be editing the end of the show while it's being shown live to everyone. Like, so wow. that quick, okay. quick turnaround. Um, so anyway, went in and... They were like, so who do you want to go on a date with? Because when you go in, you go on a date straight away. And I was, I hadn't been watching it because we were away, obviously, in Toulouse. And I go, who's still here? What girls are still here? They named them all out. And most of them were already coupled up with someone. So there was like two people left. 
One was Amber and one was Maura Higgins. And uh, I was going on two dates, so I went with the both of them. The date with Amber went so well that they sacked off the second date with Maura and just left me dating Amber. People fell in love with the idea of us together and we ended up winning the show. And afterward, then, you're, you're expected to... Collect. It's an unwritten rule. You're supposed to move to London, do the red carpet events, be the it couple, yeah. and promote the show and be the whole thing. Like, yeah. uh, the issue was I hadn't qualified for the Olympics yet, so this wasn't part of the plan. Yeah. So I told uh, all the ITV people and everyone, I was like, you have me until the 26th of August and then I'm going home to train. And Amber just didn't really appreciate that at all. As a girl I wanted with, she was like, what do you mean? Like, we're supposed to go out. And I basically like said no to the golden ticket for both of us. And I uh, came home and, uh, and got stuck back into training. And then I got absolutely eaten alive by the English media for that because they're like, oh, you're a money grabber. You're all this, you're all that. Uh, but, but people didn't realize this was coming home to do a job that was paying me below minimum wage. If I was a money yeah. grabber, I would have stayed in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, I'd already committed to this. Yeah. And something like, to put a stat on it, like 800,000 people unfollowed me because of it they were i got like hashtag unfollow greg was trending on twitter like that's how bad it got um because people were just so annoyed that i did it's awful and uh, like, i don't know i'm trying to make the olympics with my national team so people just didn't get it like do you know what i'll be, I'll be open on like educated people that have kind of a focus in life completely understood what i was doing it was kind of like the younger generation, like teenagers yeah. and, and the less educated people. Well, you're in love. How could you not want to be in love? Do you know what I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're supposed to marry her. And I was like, let's come on. I met her on a TV show. It's like going on holidays and meeting someone, hitting it off with them. And then you both go home to your separate countries. Like yeah. That. It was like, except millions of people were watching us. And um, so that happened. And I was lucky enough that I surrounded myself by my teammates and Two years later, we ended up qualifying for the Olympics. So it all paid off, thank God. Which is awesome. And you got to go to the Olympics, which is unbelievable. Yeah. Very few people ever get to do that, particularly in rugby because it hasn't been around long enough. So how did you how did you decide to retire? Was it like, okay, Olympics, I've done it, I'm here, and then that was it? Yeah, so I did, to be honest, man, I didn't actually want to retire because rugby is my first love. I'm only 26. I'm probably in the best shape I've ever been in. And I was training every day with my mates, like, it's the most ideal job you could have. Like you're traveling the world, you're going to 10 different locations around the world, like Hong Kong, Singapore, LA, Vancouver, Sydney, Hamilton, Cape Town, Paris, London. Like it's, it's ridiculous, Hong Kong. And um, uh, it's just amazing. But the issue was with the IRFU 7s, the way it's set up is it's not a viable career option. You're paid uh, very little money for a full-time job. And it's just, at, at some stage you have to become realistic and go, I can't, afford to do this anymore. I have to make a career for myself. So unfortunately, a few of us had to retire after the Olympics because we're just getting to our latter 20s. We have to start thinking about our future. Um, so it seemed like the perfect opportunity to get to the top of sport, which is the Olympics, and then bow out off our own accord. Because some people just keep sticking in sport and they don't get to retire off their own accord because they get injured or they get dropped. So it, it is sad that I'm finished that part of my life, but I'm really happy with how it went. Yeah. So how are you leveraging now? Okay. Olympian, Love Island celebrity. How are you using that kind of in your new world? Yeah. Progression. So it's a, it's a weird concoction, what I do. So a lot of people ask me nowadays, they're like, so what do you do? And I'm like, I do a lot of things, man. I don't even know. I influence people. Yeah. <laughs> but I say, man, the, the, the word influencer, the term influencer, 
I just think it's such negative connotations to it. If you look up the influencer on Google, uh, the definition of it, it's something like, uh, like manipulative, man, no, really? Or like, yeah, yeah, causes people to change their behaviors or so. It's really like negative. And I'm like, why do people want to be called that? It's really bad. Like, might as well be called a manipulator. So, but look, it's just the way it is and it's never going to be changed. Um, so what I tried to do was take the following that I got off Love Island and push it into what I'm passionate about and what I care about. So, what do I care about? I care about rugby, I care about fitness, I care about health, I care about like, um, help me out the world. So that's, is in, I'm doing my charity events and trying to really push into things that are genuine to me. And lucky enough, that's starting to happen. It was a, it was a really slow transitional stage, to be honest about it. And I really struggled for the first few months. Um, cause I really felt like I lost my identity. I was, I remember meeting these big agencies in London cause I wanted to sign for them commercially and, and, uh, for media jobs. And I went in, I remember going to these big, huge places in London and sitting down at the round table with other, with, uh, with other agents and they go, okay, Greg, you won Love Island. That's great. You went to the Olympics. That's great. But who are you now? John, like, what, who's Greg O'Shea now? What are you doing? What's the plan? And I couldn't answer them. And it honestly, it, it really hit me like a slap in the face. I was like, who am I now? What am I going to do? Like, you know, so I went back home and I kind of had to really sit down and think, what do you, what are you passionate about, Greg? What do you want to do in life? And I have a law degree and I was studying to be yeah, a lawyer. I heard that. Yeah, you, you have a law degree. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I think it's, it might be similar enough where you're from, but in Ireland, you're supposed to go to secondary school, go to university, get your degree, get a job, get a wife, get a dog. And then, do you know what I mean? You're supposed to, that's what you're supposed to do. And that's what I was doing. That's what you're told you're supposed to do, but you don't actually have to do that. And yeah. so I was doing that and I was doing my law exams and I had got most of them done. And I just, I had a girlfriend at the time and she goes, she goes, Greg, you're, I don't know if you curse on this podcast, but you're effing miserable. Yeah. You're really difficult to be around. Why are you doing these law exams? Like, you know, and it kind of made me realize like, why am I doing something that's making me miserable? I know it's a great career, but it's obviously not my passion. I don't want to be a lawyer. So I put the exams on the back burner of three more to do in the next six years to kind of qualify to be in the law society. So I might just do that just to have it in the back pocket. Yeah. But um, I kind of realized that I love fitness. I love presenting. I, I, it really gives me kind of this adrenaline buzz that you get from playing sports. So I forced myself into that world, started thinking, who do you know? Who can give you an opportunity? So I started ringing family, friends who had contacts here and there. And they, I got my foot in the door a couple of places and I'm still learning my craft, but I'm really, really enjoying it. And um, it's, 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 uh, it's a lot more happier than I, I think I would have been if I stuck out trying to do the law, you know? So what's, what is a typical day then now? So a typical day for me would be like after this podcast, I'm going to be doing a live session on my app called Better With Greg. So it's spelled B-E-T-T or with Greg. And the reason it's spelled like that is just because I think it's cool. Not <laughs> so if you go onto my Instagram, um, you see it in my bio link or if you go onto Better With okay. Greg Instagram, it's right there. And so that, oh, yeah. that, that kind of like forms my week. I do live sessions. So the USP with that is Every single workout is live with me. So I'm not just recording 50 workouts, uploading them onto an app and selling it to you. And I'm sitting in Dubai drinking a pina colada where doing my workouts. It's not like that at all. Like a lot of influencers do. Every workout's live with me. So if you're there working out, I'm there as well. So it's a big responsibility. But I'm going to work. I'm going to count. Like, is this like lifting weights? Is this like yoga? Like what, what is it? So it's, it's tailored towards people that don't necessarily like the gym and like lifting weights. Not everyone wants to lift barbells or heavy squats yeah. or dumbbells um, so, or heavy dumbbells. So what it is, is you can do it from anywhere in the world. So usually I'm thinking the 
people at home that just have a mat want to do it in their living room or whatever. So it's all like bodyweight heat classes, Pilates, I'm a Pilates instructor as well, yoga, um, like uh, core sessions, there's lightweight dumbbells, lightweight kettlebells, anything you can do at home. It's quick 30 minutes burst and it's all live with me. So that's the motivation. It's we're doing this together and getting better with Greg. So it's all, that's what it says. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's a big part of my life at the moment. And then I started doing media and presenting with people like the BBC and, as I said, House of Rugby. And then um, I do a bit of, uh, in quotations, influencing with social media brands and ambassadorships that I I, uh, absolutely love. So that's kind of a mixture of my week at the moment. Have you resettled in London or are you still in Dublin? So, yeah, so I had a place in London for the last couple of months of 2021 in a place called Battersea. It's in southwest London. And to be honest, man, I was miserable there. I was, I was really unhappy, man, as sad as that sounds, but it's because, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I really was struggling with who I was and what was it, what was I going to do with my life now and my identity. And I was in this big new city. So I'm a quite a small town guy from Limerick, Ireland. And I was in this big city living in an apartment by myself, not knowing what I was going to do. I was in a relationship with a girl that we weren't right for each other. So that was that was something I was dealing with as well. And I kind of associated having that apartment with like a negative vibe. So at Christmas time, just gone, I was like, you know what? I'm getting rid of this place. Got rid of it. I didn't want to think about it anymore. Didn't want to be there. And now I'm looking for a new place in London. So I'm just flying over every week uh, from Dublin. I'm in my apartment now in Dublin. And I fly over um, every week to London to do a bit of work and then fly back. But there's flights every couple of hours here and they're only yeah. 45 minutes. So it's, it's actually so grand. That's so easy. The um, this is rapid fire. Uh, what would you advice would you give your younger self? What? Um, well, that's a great question. I'm sorry, you said rapid fire. I said, yeah, uh, it doesn't have to be rapid. It can just be. Um, I would say try to enjoy the moment more. So I was put a lot of pressure on myself, man, as a kid, and it, it worked out because I was succeeded in a lot of things. Like in education, I succeeded. I got my law degree. In rugby, I succeeded. In athletics, I succeeded. But the issue was I was always so stressed and so much pressure and I had to perform. And I look back on things now and I just, I just remember I was so miserable just not enjoying them. And it's really kind of, it's crap in the sense that my friends look back on things really fondly and I look back and I go, I was miserable, man. I wasn't happy at all because I was just trying to be so good at everything. So I say to myself, just calm down, try and enjoy the moment. It will all be fine. And be there. Yeah. Be, be in that moment. You know, you've, you've done really well and the modern athlete not only has to be really good on the field, but they also have to have seemingly, um, a presence away from the field. Right. And you've done a really nice job of combining those. What kind of advice would you have for kind of modern pros today about how best to manage that and how best to do it? Manage your time. The best way I found of managing my time when I was balancing professional rugby and education and work was I had a big whiteboard in my room, I remember, and I'd, I'd mark it off seven days a week, Monday to Sunday, and every single hour from 7 a.m. down to 10 p.m. at night, and I'd know exactly what I'm doing at every single hour of the day, whether what, whether that be a gym session, a studying, a nap, eating, whatever it is. And I take a screenshot of it or take a photo of it. And I sent it to my managers and my coaches and go, this is what I'm doing at this time. This is where I'm going to be. And it just kept me so focused and so aligned that I always knew what I was going to be. And if ever there was a, a moment when I'd be relaxing, I'd go, okay, where am I? What am I supposed to be doing? I'd look at it and I'd be up and gone. So I think I actually have a tattoo on my ribs here that I got when I was 15. 
along here that's in Cantonese. Um, it's in Cantonese because yeah. my my uh, yeah, grandfather. Yeah. And it says, if you if you want something, go get it. Period. Basically, if you want something bad enough, you're going to get it done and like stop making excuses. So it's a bit of a tough love attitude. But if you want something bad enough, you're going to make it happen. Like, and obviously people say, oh, yeah, that's great. I want to be a billionaire. Like, okay, yeah, all right. You probably can if you do some ridiculous stuff. But I'm talking more so in the sense that if you want to get a degree, you can go do that. Do you know what I mean? If you want to play sport in a team you can go do that you just have to get up up your ass and do, go do it yeah so. and have a plan and but to, to your earlier point i think is sometimes that's a juxtaposition with that but just actually enjoying that process like whiteboarding it out getting a plan in place but enjoying executing on that plan that's is, is an important bit um favorite tour stop on those series cape town Amazing, amazing culture. Cape Town in South Africa. It's just, I remember we got off the, the plane and just so many people around dancing and singing and dressed up and just so happy with life. And the weather it was so sunny and the stadium was packed every single day. And it was just a really happy vibe there. So I, yeah. it. I need to get back down there. That's so good. And I, I would, Hong Kong would be up there for me, I think. <laughs> in the South Stand. Yeah. Yes, I don't think I ever made it into the South Stand, fortunately, for my own help. The South Stand is such a popular place. I've heard that people line up or queue up to get into it. Yeah. And people won't leave. So they'll piss in cups in the stand. Yeah. Throw the cups around. It's the worst. It's the worst best. <laughs> the worst best, yeah. The best worst. Um, what are the, What's your favorite part of uh, recording Love Island that didn't make it on, on live air, on, on air? Oh my God. I'm trying to remember back now. It was in 2019. Um, oh, my favorite part of recording. I think most of my stuff got played on it, man, to be honest. Um, oh, there was a part when an Irish guy, no word of a lie, an Irish guy broke into the villa. I remember I was sitting in the kitchen uh, with a guy called Ovi and a guy called Anton who were on my series with me. Irish guy climbed up onto the edge of the pool and we were like that's kind of weird that the cameraman's standing on the edge of the pool but we didn't really make mo most of it didn't make much of it the guy jumps up takes a photo on like a gopro lands in the pool and we're like what the hell is that he jumps up out of the pool and legs it down the field you can see him running down the field and uh, we're like that was mad that was like I was broke in i was like i would love to see the photo like yeah <laughs> But uh, I don't think that made, that obviously didn't make it because they took the phone off him and deleted the photo. But it turned out he was an Irish guy who broke into the villa, yeah? Yeah, that's awesome. If you were, this is my last question, favorite question. If you were in my shoes, you know, running a Major League Rugby team, the Free Jacks, what would you be focusing on? I'd be focusing on developing the grassroots rugby in America because you have, well, over 300 million people in America and some amazing athletes that can't make it in NFL, NBA, whatever it is, NHL, just incredible athletes. So if you start developing them from a younger age, I think America could easily compete with New Zealand within the next 10 years if the yeah. proper resources are put into it. So people like yourself are the kind of guys that are going to make that happen. Yeah, brilliant. I love it. Greg, so good to have you on. It was awesome. Now, where do people get a hold of you on social? What are your handles? So uh, Instagram is probably the best one. It's Greg O'Shea, just my name. Um, YouTube's the same, just Greg O'Shea. And then on TikTok, which is probably the new biggest one that all the kids are on these days, it's called uh, Greg O'Shea Official. So catch okay. me on there and uh, would love to have you supporting me and following me on my journey. 
Yeah, it's awesome. It's really awesome. Are you sure you don't have a MySpace account? We should put that there. <laughs> <laughs> Going up the MySpace on your age there now. Good man. So good. Thank you, everybody, for an, another amazing episode of Full Contact CEO with the one and only Greg O'Shea. Be sure to subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts.